Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Steve Taylor. Steve is an author and senior lecturer in psychology at Leeds Beckett University in the UK. He is one of Mind Body Spirit magazine's 100 Most Spiritually Influential People. Steve's latest book is The Leap, The Psychology of Spiritual Awareness, hand-selected for publication by Eckhart Tolle, the internationally best-selling author of The Power of Now. This book is an engaging and eclectic blend of psychology, philosophy, and spirituality. Steve describes how spiritual awakenings often affect relationships, careers, and overall outlook on life. In The Leap, Steve shares that spiritual awakening is much more common than we generally realize. He suggests that the human race is undergoing a collective awakening. So welcome to the podcast, Steve. I'm really delighted to have you here. Hi, Osa. It's great to be on the podcast. So tell me, how did you come to do this work? I mean, you're a, you're a psychology lecturer, and yet you're you're focused in this realm of spirituality, which uh, I I'm so fascinated by, and I I think is such an important topic for these times. Can you tell well, us a bit about that? Yeah, it was very uh, very instinctive and spontaneous. It was never very conscious. I kind of ended up doing it, you know, without thinking about it too much. Um, and it basically it was something that was innate, uh, something that was within me. Uh, so when I was a when I was a teenager, I'd I would have kind of spontaneously have what I would now call spiritual experiences, which I didn't really understand at the time. But I would experience these moments of intense well-being and a te- an intense sense of connection to nature, and moments of in- incredible calmness and um, you know euphoria, and. When when I was older, uh, I I began to realize that other people would have these experiences too, and I wanted to understand them. So I became a psychologist partly because I wanted to understand my own experiences, my own mm-hmm. spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. And and I found out that conventional psychology doesn't address these experiences so much. So I had to look into spirituality in order to, in order to understand them. So in in the end, I I came I kind of um, ended up merging psychology and spirituality. And, and I think, you know, I think psychology and spirituality have to go together. You can't really understand one without the other. Well, you talk in the book about um, how you're you wanting to demythologize wakefulness. Um, can you talk a bit about that and, and why you feel it's it's more widespread than people generally talk about? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have uh, the image of, of spiritual awakening that it that it happens to people who live in India, gurus or monks in India, or maybe Christian monks who live in monasteries or in in hermitages. So people think there's something very esoteric and and very unusual about it. But when I began to to research it, I found that it was actually quite normal and it's quite common as well. 
I found out that a lot of people um, who undergo intense turmoil and stress, for example, people who suffer a bereavement, uh, people who are diagnosed with cancer, or people who go through all kinds of stress and turmoil, maybe people who are, who are alcoholics or addicts of some form, often when they're in the midst of intense psychological turmoil, then they undergo this shift. At the moment when they think they've lost everything, when all, all of the things which give them a sense of identity or a sense of well-being, when all of these things are taken away, then they, they sometimes undergo this transformation. And it's almost as if uh, their old self dies away and a new spiritually awakened self is born inside them. And, and I found that, that those experiences were surprisingly common. And a lot of people didn't talk about them because um, they weren't familiar with spirituality or with spiritual traditions. So they didn't have a, a framework to explain what happened to them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was much more common than I originally thought. Well, some of the things that intrigue me about your book is that you talk about characteristics of wakefulness. And is wakefulness, are you equating that with, with uh, having an, a spiritual realization is that is wakeful do you see wakefulness as a state of mind or or something mm. that comes and goes um well in a way i mean I, I don't even though i use the term spiritual awakening i think of awakening as a psychological state really and it's all it is really is a a state in which you have a more you have a more intense awareness of reality and a more expansive vision of reality so it's a state in which the world becomes more real to you and the actual phenomenal world and natural world around us becomes more beautiful and more vivid. And we have a, a greater sense of compassion to other people, a greater sense of connection to other people. And we have to have a sense of mission as well, a sense that there's something big that we can contribute to the world. We have this an altruistic desire to make the world a better place in some way. Mm. So when, when that happens, when that shift happens, it is it can be temporary. Sometimes for some people it is temporary. But usually it becomes a permanent, ongoing state. I love that you talk about it in those terms because that's uh, in this topic of impact that the podcast is really about is um, having a sense of wanting to make a bigger contribution. And some of the things you describe in your book as being characteristic of wakefulness is wide perspective a level of higher level of engagement, living more authentically, having enhanced relationships, and all of those are so connected with also having impact. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, when I um, when I studied, I studied about a hundred cases of spiritual awakening or transformation, and I found that one of the the strongest characteristics which people would have is a shift in their values. So whereas before, maybe people were, were quite self-centered in their values and their main goal in life was to become wealthier or more successful just for their own selves. After their, their transformation, then there was a shift into a much more altruistic mode where people's aim was not to accumulate things for their own selves, but to contribute to the world in some way. Mm. So what I think one person described it as uh, it's a shift from a mode in which you take things from the world uh, a shift into a mo- from that into a mode in which you give things to the world. So from taking to giving, mm. that becomes the primary orientation in people's lives. Mm. And uh, yeah, and relationships too. Relationships became 
um, more authentic. You know, I think often in life, in our relationships, we we wear social masks to each other. You know, we sort of act out a role, and we act in the way that we're we feel we're supposed to do. We say the right things. We make sure that we don't offend people, and we we live a conventional lifestyle. But after this shift, people their, their relationships became deeper. They they didn't wear social masks as much. They were more authentic in their behaviour. They wanted to you know they wanted to really reach out to people and really really connect with people rather than just sort of relating to people on a more superficial level. Mm. Well, and I think that that translates so well not not only certainly into work but also into your in the larger sphere of your life yeah that's right yeah it's a, it's a question of perspective as well um because um i think some people have quite a narrow perspective and it's not just a perspective in terms of their you know that they are the center of their lives and everything they do is uh, orientated towards increasing their status or wealth or power mm-hmm. that's quite a narrow self-centered perspective right. but also people's perspective is sometimes narrow in that they they don't consider the the wider consequences of their actions you know as long as they feel okay and maybe the people around them are okay that's enough but when people undergo this shift they have a much more wide-ranging much more global sense of perspective you know they for example they became more concerned about environmental issues you know about the wider Environment, environmental impact of their of their lifestyles, and uh, they, you know that they, they would. Um, I think it comes from larger from having a, a greater sense of compassion and a wider sense of compassion. People became less interested in um, kind of um, in identity, like um, different forms of national identity or regional identity or political identity. Those kind of labels became less important, and people were more able to sense the kind of underlying commonalities, the underlying similarities beneath the superficial differences. Mm. This is so interesting to hear this kind of uh, shift that you're describing because it describes my own personal experience. About seven years ago, I uh, had this spiritual awakening experience and it was uh, it, it wasn't as a result of turmoil exactly but it was uh there was certainly a lot of change going on at the time so um and it certainly has shifted mm-hmm. the way that i look at my business and the way that i am in the world and it's really led to this work that i'm doing around impact where i'm working with entrepreneurs um, to help them get clear on the impact they want to have so having this more global perspective is is this wakefulness something that you can cultivate or is it something that just kind of lands on you and when you least expect it? Uh, well, it's both. I mean, you can cultivate it and, and it does happen very dramatically and suddenly for some people. But I think um, most people who experience wakefulness experience it through gradual change. You know, people who decide that they're, they're going to follow some form of spiritual practice such as meditation or yoga, or maybe people who more formally decide that they're going to become a Buddhist or follow the path of the Kabbalah or any other spiritual path. Or it doesn't have to be any kind of spiritual practice. It could be just the lifestyle you lead. Well, for example, I met um, a woman who said that her spiritual practice was being an air hostess or an air steward. I think you call them in America. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that being an air steward was such a, a kind of altruistic activity. She always had to serve people. You know, every moment of the flight, she was serving people and 
being kind to people that really years later she realized it was actually a spiritual practice that she was practicing um, kindness and service and altruism and that you know that really changed her inwardly that act of that constant act of service mm, wow. so it can be kind of accidental and spontaneous another person i spoke to was um he was this was a long time ago but he was working for a circus and his job was to to look after horses in the circus he would groom the horses care for them treat them if they were injured and in a similar way he realized that years later he realized that the the act of caring for the horses so intently for so long was a spiritual practice you know being off service and practicing kindness for so long and in the end that led to a spiritual awakening so i think any any lifestyle which involves a lot of service a lot of altruism or some kind of more formal spiritual practice that cultivates a gradual spiritual awakening even if it takes decades you know it slowly opens up our being and slowly expands our awareness mm. Well, I, uh, it's great that you're highlighting that because I think sometimes people have this perception that spiritual awakening is some dramatic event and then afterwards you're forever changed and you completely, you either take on this kind of very ascetic lifestyle or, or you do what people think of as big things in the world. And there's, there's so much benefit and merit to having that perspective all the time, regardless of the work that you're doing and, and how you're sh how you're showing up in the world yeah i mean as i said before i think a lot of people who undergo this shift we don't actually know about them because they live quite quietly maybe their <clears throat> their kind of um their kindness or their service or their compassion is focused on a small group of people around them and maybe they're, they're not even aware that they've undergone a, a spiritual awakening or some form of spiritual development. Mm -hmm. And and so they live quite quietly. And so, you know, there could be literally thousands of these people around us. And I'm sure there are. Hmm. Well, you mentioned before that you started to have a sense of wakefulness from a fairly young age. How, how do you think that these experiences or this way of being has influenced how you are in the world and the impact that you have? <clears throat> well, um, I think it's given me a sense of mission. Um, so I think a lot of people who, you know, there, there is this kind of traditional image that spiritual awakening means living apart from the world right. in a monastery or a, a hermitage <laughs> and, and, not, and not being particularly concerned about what happens in the world. You know, it's maybe so it's all an illusion. So why should we care about it? And, you know, maybe, you know, true happiness lies in another realm of reality. So why should we be concerned about this realm of reality? But I think that's a, that's a bit of a myth. You know, in my personal experience and also in my research, spiritual awakening actually makes people more concerned about the world. It makes them more empathic and they feel a great desire to alleviate people's suffering, a greater desire to make the world a better place in some way. And I think that's my main impulse is to, to contribute in some way. I feel that I have gained certain insights about spiritual awakening and I want to spread those to other people. And I feel that, you know, a lot of human beings undergo suffering, which is unnecessary mm -hmm. and which could be transcended. So I guess, um, you know, my main impulse is to try to help people to transcend suffering and, and in a more general sense, I want the human race to to develop in a more positive way. You know, I want to contribute to 
the collective development of the whole human race. You mentioned in the book too about how you feel that the we are actually um, undergoing a collective awakening. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, um, well, I think there are some signs that um, that what I call wakefulness is becoming more common, partly because I found so many examples of it. But also, um, I think many people are undergoing temporary awakening experiences. And research has shown that over the last few decades, spiritual experiences have become more and more common um, in America and also in, in England. For example, in, in the 1950s, about 20% of people said that they'd had a, a spiritual experience. And now it's about 70 or 80% of people wow. who say that. Yeah, it's been a really significant change. And a lot of people say that um, they experience, they regularly experience uh, feelings of, wonder or of oneness uh, almost every week about I think about 50% of people said they regularly have those feelings so I think that shows that there is a shift underway uh, and also on a more sort of cultural level I think if you if you go back 300 years say in history there's been a massive change over that period in the sense that uh, human beings in general have become more compassionate and Societies have become more democratic and egalitarian. And there's been a lot of shift in, in the status of women and uh, attitudes towards um, um, sort of disenfranchised groups in society. And also, you know, in, in the last century, there's been a, a change in human beings' attitude towards the body. And to, there's much more openness towards sex and the body. And I think all of these are signs that we're transcending separateness. We're, we're connecting with one another. And there's this sort of movement towards uh, towards increasing connection, increasing co compassion, and I think these are all signs that we are we are gradually waking up mm. as a species. Yeah, I mean, I've I've certainly observed that within my own sphere. That despite what you're see what we're seeing politically in the UK and the US, <laughs> it seems like overall there's a a greater awakening and a greater compassion than perhaps we've seen before, which is a very exciting prospect. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the most amazing things is over the last 20 or 30 years, there's been this massive upsurge in interest in self-development and uh, spirituality, which didn't really exist like 30 or 40 years ago. It's been become much more mainstream and, and um, you know, much more common since then. In the work that you're doing, I mean, you, you talked about your mission and feeling like uh, spreading your insight helps people transcend suffering and that you're, you want to contribute to the human race developing positively. Is that is that um, sense of mission, how does that show up in the day-to-day? -day? Do you feel that you – does it influence how you use your time and energy – is it something that you always have in mind or is it something you move in and out of? Well, I think it's always there. I mean, I'm, I may not be able to always express it because, uh, you know, I, I have other duties. Maybe I've got marking to do at my university <laughs> or classes to teach. Right. Um, but it's always there in the background. And, you know, but it's, it's, but it's not um, really conscious. You know, it's, it, I would say it's the, the underlying impulse of everything I do and particularly my writing and my teaching but um you know it's, it's not really in the forefront of my mind if i can recognize it in retrospect 
for example, one, one of the things I've started to do over the past few years is to to write poems or you could say spiritual reflections and meditations. And and I've found that a lot of people find, find those helpful. So I use uh, social media to, to put, put those poems out or I publish them. And a lot of people find uh, kind of consolation or, or benefits in them. So that's, um, you know, that's another manifestation of which I'm trying to contribute. Hmm. Well, one of the things that you... Uh that you talk about in the book is um, confusion and integration <laughs> in the, in terms of natural wakefulness. Can you, can you speak a bit about that? Yeah. Well, um, a lot of people, whether they are naturally awake or whether they undergo a sudden awakening, if they don't understand what's happened to them, if they don't have a background in spirituality if they don't know about spiritual traditions or spiritual practices, then they are they are they can be initially confused by by what's happened or by their by their natural state, mm -hmm. and maybe they try to explain it to the people around them, but the people around them don't understand it. Their parents or their friends don't really understand it, and people start to think that they've something strange has happened to them. Even they've they've gone a bit crazy, right? Yeah, and so the people themselves they begin they sometimes begin to doubt their state. I think that, that happened to me in, um, personally that I think I was somebody who was always naturally awake to some degree uh, from my teenage years, but I had no background in spirituality or religion. So I had no idea about, you know, what, about who I was really. So I find it, I find it difficult to understand myself and to accept myself. Mm -hmm. And that caused a lot of confusion, a lot of conflict. And it was only years later, probably five or six years later when I was in my early twenties that I began to find out about spirituality and I realized you know who I was I had a framework to make sense so until you have that framework there can be a lot of confusion well it seems that the more clarity you have the more conscious you are of what's happening to you that the more you can start to think about how to put these impulses of, of being more authentic being more engaged uh, moving into Kind of a larger sense of mission the more conscious you are about that the more you can actually enact it or mm. integrate it into your life yeah definitely yeah you have to accept yourself and understand yourself and integrate yourself before you can begin to contribute to the world you know there's um there's there's, there's a lot of research showing for example that people who are kind of self-absorbed uh, who, who are preoccupied with their own lives are less altruistic um, than others like for example people who are depressed are shown to be less altruistic mm -hmm. and less empathic than others mm -hmm. but it's usually when people feel a sense of well-being within them when they feel whole and integrated then they can stop focusing on themselves and give them start to give themselves to the world so there's, a, there's a, you, you can give yourself wholly to other people once you've kind of fulfilled your own self i think that's one of the things that, which happens in spiritual awakenings that people find a really strong sense of inner wholeness and well-being. So they don't really need to, to work on themselves anymore. They don't really need to concern themselves with their own psychological issues or, or even, even their own lives. You know, everything seems to be worked out for them. Hmm. So they, they can really give themselves to the world at that point. They can stop reading self-help books. and <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They can start writing them. Right. <laughs> Well, this is, I mean, you've been described as a, uh, I mean, on the back of your book, it, it says that you're a, 
you were described as a major spiritual author and teacher. So how does how does that affect the way you see yourself and and what you do? Wow. Well, I, I try not to think about that. Because <laughs> <laughs> like when I was when I was in this including this list of the hundred most spiritually influential people in the world, it was quite strange to contemplate it. But then my kids came home from school and they were making fun of me and my <laughs> wife was asking me to help out with the chores. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I realized I wasn't special after all. <laughs> well, it's that Buddha saying about chop wood, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. So, um, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, well, there's a book, isn't it? I think it's by Jack Cornfield. It's After the Ecstasy, the Laundry. <laughs> I hadn't heard of that. Yeah. Well, he's certainly an, an influential teacher, spiritual teacher as well. So is there a particular way that you approach obstacles or problems in the context of, of wakefulness or in your research? Have you discovered that people um, approach um, barriers in a different way through wakefulness? Yeah, I found that um, people in the wakeful state, they, you know, they accept that difficulties always occur at some point. You know, human life is always going to include challenges. Nobody's life is completely free of uh, difficulties and challenges. But, you know, we have a choice about how we respond to challenges. And I think in the, you know, in a kind of more normal or unawakened state, when difficulties occur, our minds kind of latch onto them, and the actual difficulty itself is exacerbated by a lot of mental agitation, a lot of anxiety about it, and also maybe feelings of uh, bitterness and frustration. And a lot of it's to do with not accepting the reality of the situation, not accepting the difficulty or the challenge. But I think in the in the wakeful state there's a greater tendency to accept situations as they are. You know, if a difficulty occurs, and usually we have to accept it as it is, and we have to face it and deal with it. And, you know, you can do that without being over-anxious, without becoming mentally agitated. So I think that the main difference is that when difficulties occur in the awakened state, there's a kind of like a stoical acceptance of the difficulties and a realization that we have to just deal with it to, to the best of our abilities, give it the whole of our attention. And then, you know, once we've, once we've done that, we can move on. Mm. But I think the other thing is that um, in the awakened state, there's a realization that difficulties may have a, a positive side to them as well. Difficulties can be an opportunity, opportunity for growth. There's always a kind of underlying positive aspect to any negative situation and you know difficulties are what enable us to to become deeper uh, they be enable us to uncover resources inside ourselves which we didn't realize were there they make us realize that we are stronger than we ex than we ever realized they can unlock a lot of uh, positive growth within us so i think in the awakened state you know we need to understand you know that the positive aspects of challenges as well well um i in my observation and both personally and and um observing other people so much of the 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 
problem around obstacles or barriers is the, the the anguish associated with it is the resistance to it and the yeah um, and and not wanting to kind of grasp the full problem before you move into finding a solution. And there's always that resistance that um, keeps you from really dealing with it. That's true. Yeah, I found that with um, a lot of the people I I researched who under, underwent a shift into an awakened state following psychological turmoil. I think the main difference between them and other people who didn't undergo the shift was they had an attitude of openness and acceptance towards their situation. So, for example, if if somebody was diagnosed with uh, a form of cancer and maybe told they only had a, a year or so left to live, then some people understandably wouldn't want to face the reality of that situation. They would stop themselves thinking about it. They would have refused to face up to the, the consequences of it. Whereas others would accept it and would surrender to the reality of that situation. And those were the, the kind of people who were more open to the, the transformational effects. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can certainly see that. Um, one of the things that seems to pop up for people who have spiritual awakenings is that they start to seek teachers. And uh, one of the things you talk about in, in your book is questionable teachers. Um, can you talk a bit about that and, and some things that people can have in mind if they feel like they want to explore it further with someone who can understand their experience or, or they want to expand their own experience? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a problem, you know, in in the age of the internet where anybody can set themselves up as a a spiritual teacher and they can sort of open up a Facebook page as a spiritual teacher and create their own website and offer Skype sessions (laughs) to share their teachings. So anybody can do that. So you need to be a bit discerning about the people you encounter, about the so-called teachers or gurus who offer themselves to you. And it's really, it really boils down to um, how many of the characteristics of genuine wakefulness these people show. Because I think some spiritual teachers like to um, become kind of powerful figures. They like to attract followers. Mm-hmm. And some of them like to attract lots of money. <laughs> right. So it's <laughs> more of an like, ego thing. Yeah, it's an ego thing. It's Maybe they're not even aware of it. Maybe they're kind of quite narcissistic and it's a way of uh, kind of fulfilling their narcissism by becoming a spiritual teacher mm. or maybe in a more straightforward way, they're just trying to exploit people for their own gain. So you need to be aware of those people. And I think one of the things that you need to be, you need to focus on really is um, true spiritually awakened people never want to separate themselves. They don't really want to set themselves up as gurus, as special people who have got special wisdom. Um, they, you know, they're very uh, egalitarian. They, they don't want to set up a hierarchy. They don't really want to create a spiritual community and live in a big house surrounded by their followers. Um, you know, I, they, they're quite humble. I mean, humility is a very um, important part of being spiritually awakened. Mm-hmm. And they also have a, a great sense of humor. That's one of the, you know, somebody asked me recently, how can you tell a, a spiritually awakened person from somebody who isn't? And I just said, you know, ask yourself, do they have a sense of humor? Because spiritually awakened people are very funny, you know, they're, they're quite light. They're, they don't have a heavy, heavy veil of seriousness about them. Right. You know, they're, they're quite frivolous in some ways. But, but um, you know, they see the funny side of, of things rather than being weighed down by the, by the um, you know, the harsh realities of life. 
I love that. I, uh, I, that's something that I've heard before that, uh, people feel there, there has to be that, uh, connection to joy when there's, when there's an awakening. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I've, I've met some spiritual teachers and they're, they're quite stern and serious and, you mm. know, um, they're like, they're like school teachers, you know, old fashioned school teachers, right. yeah. but you know, and then other spiritual teachers, they smile, they radiate joy, and they're very funny. They like to tell jokes. And it just seems so natural that the lightness which flows through them seems to be a, an expression of, a, of something bigger than themselves, almost like a transcendent joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really powerful when you see someone like that. So the Dalai Lama comes to mind. So, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's, he's a really good example. You know, the, there's... Um, there was a little video of him throwing snowballs at journalists. Which... <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, Steve, if you if you had um, uh, some advice that you would share with people who are asking themselves, I mean, in the context of this podcast, we're really looking at at having impact and and putting that into action. What kind of advice would you give people who become awakened to this idea of, uh, you know, shifting from taking to giving and and really uh, contributing in the world? What what would you say to them as in support of that? I would say that um, if you have the impulse, then you should trust the impulse and. Um, and you know, don't think too much about the results of what you're doing. Just focus on the impulse or the activity itself. That's one of the things I've learned as a writer is that um, I can't focus too much on, you know, whether a book's going to be published or whether it's going to have good sales. I just have to trust the impulse itself and express what is coming through me. So it's really about expressing something which is bigger than yourself. And if you have the trust to allow that to flow through you, then it always works out for the best. The problems really begin when you try to interfere with that, or you try to obstruct it or direct it too much. But if you just trust what's coming through you and allow it to express itself, then things always work out for the best in, in my experience. Do you have any suggestions on how to not interfere with that? Uh, well, don't worry too much. You know, interference often comes from worry. You know, if you're worried about the outcome of your activities, um, your mind starts to become agitated and you start to interfere. And it's great if you can keep an open mind. I mean, literally an open mind. I mean, a mind which is still and a mind which is fairly empty. So I think if you, that's why I think meditation is a great way to, to start the day before you start work. Just sit down for a few minutes and try and empty your mind and just try and quieten your mind, slow down your thoughts and find a little bit of space and stillness within you. Mm. And that's when something bigger starts to flow through you, when there's that space within you. When your mind's full of mental chatter or anxiety, then there's no space inside you. And that higher kind of um, force, if you want to call it that, can't flow through you. So when you empty your mind and open your mind, then you allow this impulse to throw through, flow through you and your life becomes the expression of that. Mm. That is a that is a great description of uh, uh, some practice a practice that can really help you open up to this in your own life. Do you have a daily practice that you do uh, that helps you 
maintain that kind of approach? Well, I, I, I follow that myself. I meditate every morning mm-hmm. and, um, and, I, and I always feel that it's, um, it's a great way to empty my mind and to allow, especially if I'm, if I'm writing a book, it's a great way of allowing my, my sort of deeper creative energies to come through. So if my mind's sort of too busy, if I'm chattering away about what I've got to do that day or what happened yesterday, then those creative energies can't flow through me. So, so it's great to just to cultivate some mental clarity and a bit of spiritual openness before I start work. Mm. Well, Steve, thank you so much for sharing your own experience as well as the research that you've done. And um, I think your your mission around um, helping us all develop in a more positive direction with your writing and, and the other work that you're doing is uh, I'm uh, really grateful that you're doing this work in the world. So thank you for sharing what you've learned and, and how you're experiencing that in your own life and today. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, it's, it's great to, to be on the podcast. I really enjoyed it. Oh, great. So thanks. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, the best way is through my website, which is www.stephenmtaylor.com. So that's Stephen with a V, M for Mark, stephenmtaylor.com. Great. So there's a, there's a contact page on my website. For people, if people want to contact me, they can do that through the, the contact page. Okay, great. Well, thank you again, Steve. It's been great talking with you, and uh, I appreciate you, you being here. Yeah, thanks, Ursula. Thanks a lot. So join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for, for being here. Until next time, keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact. Join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.